Check one. All right, there's this one. All right, we'll work with this one as long as we can. All right, welcome to Vertical Life Church. Man, it is hot outside, it's cold inside. If, uh, if it gets too cold, I will not be offended if you start, you know, getting close together and sharing body heat. You know, we'd, we have to go old, Old Testament style you need to uh, stay warm in here. Um, this is week two in our teaching series, Open Heavens. This is um, kind of a, a, a big, important part of my life, the area of worship. Uh, worship has always been a, a important to me, learning about not just how to lead worship, but what the importance is of why we gather for worship on uh, Sundays or any time the church gathers together, uh, why we gather and how can we engage with the presence of God in a greater and deeper way when we gather together. And uh, if you look at the New Testament, over and over again, there are these commands for the church that usually end in one another, like love one another, encourage one another, build one another up, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another, all of these one another's. And, and when we think about gathering together for worship on Sundays, if you think about all the commands for one anothering, you can't one another one another without being around one another, right? You can't do that. So it, to fulfill these commands, we, we get together to do these things because they help us. They help build us up, encourage us, strengthen us. But more than just following the commands of God, there is a mystery behind the worship gathering. There is a mystery, and we looked at this last week, about how when the church gathers together, we become the house of God. We become the heavens open, and the veil between heaven and earth is removed, and we literally are standing in the very presence of God. We, we are here. What Jesus accomplished for us on the cross was that through his death, the veil of separation between God and man was removed. The moment he died, there was an earthquake that riddled through Jerusalem, and that earthquake ripped the veil that separated people from the holiest place, the Holy of Holies, where they housed the Ark of the Covenant, the very place where God's presence physically resided, where the fire would engulf the sacrifice, and God would speak to men to, um, over the Ark. That veil was to keep people out so that they wouldn't die in the presence of, God's, in the presence of God. And only one person one time a year was allowed to go in there to offer sacrifices for the sins of the nation. And when that veil tore, it symbolized that God now would dwell with his people, that the people would become his house, and we would have unfettered access to our Heavenly Father. It's such an amazing thing to understand. And as last week we discovered, there's some characteristics about the house of God. And we're not going to go through all of those today. You can uh, check out the message on the YouTube channel or on the podcast this week uh, to see these descriptors. We're going to kind of look at two of them to set up our conversation today. But if we're tuned in spiritually when we gather together, we can have an encounter with the living God that will radically change our lives each and every time we get together. And the two, the characteristics of the house of God that I want to look at to set up our conversation today is number one, and if you have your, uh, your YouVersion Bible app, you can check out the notes there. The, the notes are on the live events page, but this will also be on the screen. If you have your worship guide, you can take notes there. But the first characteristic of the house of God we want to refresh on today is one, that God is present in the house of God. When God is 
When we enter the house of God, God is present. Matthew 18, 20 says, By Jesus, were two or three gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. This is Jesus. He's saying anytime you have two or more followers of Jesus, believers in Christ, what we call born-again believers, meeting together, Jesus is there. His presence is there. And so together, if we're meeting today, anyone, a follower of Christ in this place today, want to give a testimony, someone testify, amen. That means Jesus is here. God is with us. And Psalm 22, verse 3, kind of gives us some more insight about what God is doing when he's with us. In verse 3 of Psalm 22, it says, Yet you are holy, set apart, you're enthroned on the praises of Israel. The word enthroned here is the Hebrew word yeshav. Somebody say yeshav. Yeshav. And this Hebrew word means to sit, to dwell, to abide, or to remain. So God is here when we gather together. And God enthrones himself on the praises of his people. Literally, God fills the atmosphere of our praise, of our worship. God, when we lift praises up, God comes down and rests upon them. He is at work. He's moving. He is ministering among us. His presence isn't just here so that we can uh, flatter the Almighty. He's here revealing himself, filling the space where we praise. And two, another characteristic of the house of God is that God isn't just present, but God also speaks. He's speaking. Hebrews 12.25 says, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. So God isn't just here. He's engaged. He's involved. When we gather together, God is not just present and moving among us. He is communicating. He is both present and presently engaged in communication. And he speaks to us in a various numbers of ways, multiple ways. He speaks to us through the songs that we sing. The very songs we sing reveal truth of the Scripture or from the heart of a worshiper in their connection with God as God inspired them to write a song. He speaks through the words of the song. He speaks through the music. Did you know music speaks? You can listen to an instrumental piece of music and be moved emotionally. Right? God trained, he built us, he created us to be moved by music, to allow music to communicate to our very soul. And so he's communicating even through the music that's being played. He communicates through prayer. When someone prays, he's communicating. You can be encouraged and inspired by prayer. He communicates to you when you pray or through you when you pray to other people. He communicates through the teaching, through the preaching of the word, through the message today. God is speaking to you. He's communicating. He will also whisper to your mind that still small voice as the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. He'll speak through your emotions and your feelings. And he'll also speak prophetically through visions. If you're attuned to his presence and you allow God to speak to you and you connect with him, he will give you visions and reveal things to you that you wouldn't otherwise know. He could reveal his glory. There have been many times in, in either prayer or worship, I'll have a vision and see the Lord enter a space or see angels of glory and, and see different things. There are things that God can do to communicate through visions. 
So God is present and presently communicating. Now the question is, is this communication that God is doing, that he's engaged in, is it supposed to be a monologue or a conversation? When we come here, are we supposed to just sit and hear from God or as a monologue or a lecture, or is it supposed to be a conversation that we're active in? And Jesus kind of answers this question. He says something very strong about the house of God in Matthew 21, verse 13. And Jesus said this to the, these money changers and Pharisees. He says, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of what? A house of what? Say it loud. A house of prayer. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. My house will be a house of prayer. So the question is, and you can answer this, who's supposed to be praying? We are. His house. He's here. He's speaking. But we are supposed to be praying. It's not a lecture. It's not a monologue. This when we gather into the house of God, we enter into a holy and a heavenly conversation. A holy and a heavenly conversation. And in this story, if you're in the, in the Gospels and you're reading the story where Jesus makes this statement, uh, he walks into the temple and he sees how the Pharisees, the religious leaders, have turned the temple, the, the place of meeting where they met with God, where the presence of God resided, they turned that place into a marketplace. There were money changers exchanging like Roman money for Jewish money and, and other currencies, and, and they were selling uh, animals for sacrifice. Literally, the people who were supposed to lead the nation into the worship of God were taking advantage of the people by turning the temple into a marketplace. They were making a profit on the people they were supposed to be serving. And Jesus walks into the temple and he sees how they've transformed what was meant to be a house of prayer into a marketplace and he's filled with rage. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, this is Jesus. We don't think of Jesus as the angry guy, right? We see all the movies. He's got the nice blue eyes and the perfect skin and the flowy hair and the wind blows gently as he walks by. You know, we have this image of what Jesus looks like. But Jesus gets mad, and it, and it says that he goes and starts turning over the tables. He starts tearing things up. And, uh, and even in another uh, version or another uh, account in this story, he makes a whip and starts driving these people out of the temple. He cleanses the temple. I mean, you wondered where that, uh, that uh, I don't know what you call it, not a, not a phrase, but that expression whoosh, comes from? That comes from Jesus. Right? He's like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And he drove them out. That's where that comes from. Comes from the Lord. So if you ever need to open a can of on somebody, that's biblical. Right? I'm just saying. we got a verse. So, but, but this is what happens. He gets angry. And he drives them out. And as this is happening, his disciples remember about a prophecy written in the Old Testament about the Lord. In John 2.17, it says his disciples remembered this prophecy from the Scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Passion for God's house will consume me. Did you know Jesus is passionate for his house? And it consumes him. We saw last week that the house has 
become the church, the, not the church building, but the people. God is passionate about his people, the church, his house. He's passionate about his bride, and it overwhelms him that it would stay pure, that it would stay spotless from the world, that it would remain as he designed it. And he will go to great lengths to keep people from taking advantage of his house, from turning his house into something it was never meant to be. Think about the state of the church today. Think about just church in general, the culture. I mean, we've, we've not just this church, but churches all around. If you've been to a number of churches or been to different cities and seen, you know, different churches, and you have a mega church here and a mega church here, and the way churches advertise to one another, think about the common trends and attitudes we see in Christian music and the way we've developed our own Christian culture. And I have to ask this question, as you look at just the way Christians are in our day, are people passionate for God's house or maybe are we hungry for entertainment? Are people passionate for the house of God as we know it's defined by the word? Or are we passionate or hungry for entertainment? Do we come to the house of God, to the house of prayer, for an encounter or for what we can consume? Do people today go to encounter the presence to worship the Almighty with their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or do they go just out of religious obligation for a fear of feeling guilty if they don't? Or do they come for because the motivation is that that church is cool. They have all the latest and greatest trinkets and trends and, and ministries. And, and they have this really cool coffee shop. And, and all the people dress in modern you know, flair. And, and I feel at home there. Is that why people go or do people go to engage in a heavenly conversation? Why do people go to church? See, we live in a consumerist society. And it's turned the church from a house of prayer into a Christian spiritual buffet line. We keep going down the line from church to church. The common trend is we keep going down the line in a buffet to figure out, to find out what's going to satisfy the craving. I'm a sucker for big boys breakfast buffet. I'm sorry, but I am. It's horrible food, but it's so good, so good. And the bananas with the caramel sauce on it, man, it'll kill you. But it tastes good going down, All right? But what do you do? You go in a buffet, and you're like, oh, I don't, want, I don't want any of that. Oh, that looks good. I'll get some of that. And I don't want any of that. But, oh, that looks great. I'll get two helpings of that. And you just go down the buffet line, filling your plate with what is going to satisfy you. Well, Christians do that with church. They, they go from church to church looking for the very things that will satisfy them. And they keep going down the line until they finally figure out a place or find a spot that they believe will satisfy their cravings. And really, it's to satisfy this desire to be entertained, to be pleased, to, to have a perception met of what church should be. And I even see this in ministry organizations that are set up to help the church. I get emails all the time from different ministry organizations that, that and they advertise like this, is your church struggling? Well, here are 
10 ways you can increase your giving in 90 days? Or, or do you uh, need to start a, a campaign to uh, find new members? Here's 101 ways you can build your attendance. And it usually comes with a nice price tag of like $299 or $300 or something like that. And I'm thinking, if my church is struggling, what makes you think I have the budget to spend $300 on your get you know, rich quick scheme for the church? I don't have that. But, but it's like they're marketing to the church. They're preying on the needs of struggling ministries, and they're trying to get us to buy into this fact that if we just do it their way, we'll have this success. And there are probably some good things in these, these plans, these things. But my fear is, is that the church has let the culture invade the church rather than the church going out to invade the culture. That, that we've transformed what God has intended to be a house of prayer, a place of meeting, into a place, a marketplace, where we search for entertainment, where we market ourselves, where we market and use the needs of, of other ministries against them in order to make a profit. Where the pastor of the church has to become a salesman, peddling his style of ministry to be appealing to the masses so that the church can grow rather than the people of God filled with the Spirit of God going out and proclaiming the gospel of God and turning the nation upside down. We have transformed the house of prayer, the place of meeting, into a marketplace. I've seen this a lot. I know many pastors in our, in our ministerial association, we talk about different struggles and things that we go through, and there seems to be this revolving door of believers who will walk out searching for greener grass on the other side, and they fail to realize that the grass is only greener in the lawn that you water. There's no, there's no better ministry. Every ministry has its problems, and if we're constantly looking for the most perfect place, we will sadly be disappointed. It's not... The praise band that draws you closer to God. It's not the cool t-shirts that draw us closer to God. It's not the, the version of the Bible we read from. It's not any of the superficial things that draw us closer to God. It's sacrifice that draws you closer to God. It's sacrifice. It's the sacrifice that draws you closer to the Savior. And the closer you want to be, the greater sacrifice will be required. Hebrews 13, 15 says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. It's not an allegiance to a church. It's not an allegiance to a denomination. It's an allegiance to the one who bore our sins on the cross and came back from the grave so we could have eternal life. Romans 12.1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let your whole self be a sacrifice of praise. You see, there's not simply an expectation for God to communicate when we gather in his house. There's an expectation on us to move closer to him. 
There's an expectation on us to engage with him. And as we look at worship and the worship gathering, when we come together, there's really a, a triune nature of worship, a, a threefold nature of worship as we enter into the heavenly conversation. As we recognize God is here, as we recognize that God is speaking, as we recognize there's an expectation for us to be engaged and respond in that conversation, to give him a sacrifice of praise, there are really three ways and how we can be engaged in this heavenly conversation in worship. And the first is worship listening. Worship in listening. Second is worship in declaration. And the third is worship in posture. These are the kind of three ways when we gather together in the church, we can be engaged, drawing ourselves closer in that communication in that conversation with God. We only have time to look at two of these today, and we'll pick up the third one next week. But we want to engage with what we can do to draw in and uh, grow closer to the presence of God, to interact with the supernatural when we're here together for worship. And I want to pray, and we're going to get into the rest of the teaching. Father, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you're here. I thank you for open heavens. God, I thank you that there's no person here that you did not uh, purpose to be born. There's not a person here that wasn't on your mind before you created the world. There's not a person here that you didn't think about when you went to the cross and gave yourself for the sins of the world. And God, I know that there's not a person here that you're not desperately and passionately consumed with having a relationship with, with having an encounter with. So much so, God, we feel like we've got to become something in order to hear from you, to receive from you, God. But simply, we just have to humble ourselves. And we have to lean in. And not let fear or anything else be our motivation today. But God, we just lean into your love and let you overwhelm us. Jesus, you said if we seek you, we'll find God. So I just pray that our hearts would burn, Lord, that we would seek you and that we would all have an encounter. God, give us a vision of your presence, of your glory today. Reveal Jesus, Holy Spirit, in this place. Speak to us. Convict us. Move us closer. And then set us free from all the entanglements that have been holding us back. That we could truly be the ones Jesus prophesied about. The worshipers who would arise, that would worship in spirit and in truth. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if we talk about worship, there are many things that we could say. And obviously, we could talk about obedience. And, and there are many things that we do that honor the Lord that are worshipful. But for the sake of our conversation, I want to key in on when we gather for worship, things we need to be conscious of and have in our mind. And the first that I want to look at is listening in worship or worship listening. Worship listening. If we're in a conversation with God, the first and foremost thing we need to be conscious of is listening. And listening is probably the easiest thing to do, but the hardest thing to maintain. Quickly look around who's asleep. Just kidding. Put you on the spot. But it's the hardest to maintain. 
If it's cold and you get distracted, if you're hungry, you get distracted. If you had a late night, there's distraction. You know, if you had a rough go in the family, you know, before coming over here, there's distraction. There's so many distractions the enemy wants to bring into our lives so that when we get here, we can't stay engaged. We can't listen for the speaking of the Lord. We can't, we can't listen and hear what God has to say. In heavenly conversation, we have to recognize that, that God is speaking. And in Hebrews, it says, be careful not to miss what he's saying. Be careful you don't miss it. So here's some things we can do to engage and can stay connected in listening when we're in the worship gathering. The first is meditation. Psalm 119, 27, the psalmist writes, Help me understand the meaning of your commandments, and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. When a word is proclaimed, when a song is sung, when someone prays and offers praise, someone gives a testimony, that's not your time to check out. That's your time to check in and meditate on how good God is. Wow. He parted the seas. Imagine what he can do in me. Man, God healed the lame. He opened the eyes to the blind. Imagine what he could do. If he did that through the disciples, what could he do through me if I just stepped out in faith and prayed for the sick? This is your time to meditate and contemplate and and. and Consume yourself with what you hear. Psalm 48 verse 9 says, Oh God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we, what's that phrase? Worship in the temple. The temple was the house of God. Are you even now meditating on the love of God? Is the concept of God's love for you so radically consuming you that it's causing you to be anxious to praise? I mean, think about it. When you recognize that your sins are gone, that, that it, it's gone, that, that, that they don't exist, right? You may have accidentally flipped the bird to somebody who cut you off on the way here, but that's under the blood, God doesn't see it. When he looks at you, he sees you as his beloved child. You're restored. You're sitting in the heavenly places. You're wearing the righteousness of God because Christ covers you. There's so many things about who you are in Christ that are so overwhelming. If you would sit and meditate on that, you wouldn't stay still. You'd be like David and, and be dancing like a fool. I mean, it's crazy. When you allow really the truth of what God has done and who you are in him to penetrate your heart. And that comes through meditation, listening, applying. It's not just thinking about what I hear. It's focusing on the truths and letting them impact me deeply when I'm here in the house of God. When I'm here in his presence. Part of listening just means you stay engaged from the moment you're here. You take to heart what is said, what is done, and what is sung. You listen for the voice of the Spirit to speak to your heart, and you allow it to stir in your heart. You allow it to penetrate deeply inside of you. The thing is, is God is emotional. I don't know if we, we think about this, but God is emotional. You can read through the Old Testament, all through the Scriptures. You can see every type of emotion. There are times where God felt sorry for something that he did, where he was grieved, where he was angered. Uh, in the Psalms, it says God laughs. 
God expresses emotion. And we are emotional beings because we're made in the image of God. So the emotions that we have are a reflection of who God is. He created us to be emotional. Emotions are good things. They're indicators to key us into what's happening all around us. That's why we get emotional. But some of us work so hard to shut down our emotions, to close it down. I will not crack a smile. I don't care how good this is. I am not going to smile. We, we shut down our emotions, and what we're doing is we're closing off part of the nature, the essence of who God created us to be. God created us with emotions to sense, to feel, to express. The second way we can listen when we're in the worship gathering is to attune our emotions in our senses to have spiritual awareness. Part of our emotions are the, the way God attuned us, built us, created us to be able to sense and experience what's going on all around us. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, it says this, so strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age or mature, even those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. By reason of use, this means through practice, you've used, you've, you've trained your senses, you've trained your emotions to, to sense and to pick up on the spiritual world all around you. We're not just physical beings, we're also spiritual beings. When you train your senses to be aware of God, you'll be able to recognize when the Spirit comes upon you. When, the, when He's moving, you'll sense His peace. I know there are times where I feel the Spirit come on me. I feel like total peace comes over me with like lightning that doesn't hurt. It's like electricity running all up and down my body. And I don't have goosebumps. I don't have uh, anything else. It just it feels like the, the most amazing sensation when the Spirit comes upon me. And so there are ways to sense God, to sense his presence with your actual senses, with your feelings, feeling peace, your emotions. You can also sense, it says you're able to sense both good and evil. Because God doesn't just want you to be able to sense him. He wants you to have discernment to also to be able to sense the enemy when the enemy's at work. You ever walk into a room and have an eerie feeling? The hair on the back of your neck stands up? And you get cold, and you don't know why, but you just think there's something not right in this place. Guess what? You're probably right. God has built you, created you to be able to sense good and evil. And when you work on training your senses, you'll become aware. Uh, my family, we just went to a, a concert this past week, and uh, in the concert, there was a time where there are these aboriginals who came out to. Uh, do this performance, and one of the guys was was chanting, and we looked at his face, and he looked very angry. It was very weird, and uh, and all of a sudden, I got sick to my stomach. I started having a headache, and I, w I was perfectly fine, and I felt disturbed in my spirit, and I knew that was the prompting of God to pray. I was like, I don't know what this guy is saying, but I know what he's saying isn't good, and it's being cast over this place, and I want to make sure that my family is guarded and protected. And so I began to pray against it. There are things that God enables you to sense and feel in your body, through your senses, through your emotions, but if you don't practice to attune them, you will miss it when it happens. You won't know what's going on around you. There are many things. We're created as spiritual beings to sense spiritual realities around us. 
without engaged listening, when you enter the house of God and when you enter into worship, you will have difficulty experiencing God in the gathering or experiencing or having the encounter that he's intended for you to have. The second area that uh, we want to look at in our worship gathering as we're involved in this heavenly conversation is worship declaration. Worship declaration. And worship declaration is simply declaring God's goodness, his mighty deeds, his power, and his promises. It's praise. It is worship. It is giving God praise. It's, it's the truth part of the spirit and truth that Jesus talked about with true worshipers. One day there'll be worshipers that arise that will worship in spirit and truth. We know spirit is the emotional side. Truth is the truth side. It is the declaration of who he is, what he's done, giving testimony. When we worship, we're declaring aloud both to the seen and the unseen world that there is one God and only one in whom is worthy to be worshiped and to serve. We're declaring what he's done in our lives and celebrating that goodness that we've experienced. In Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, it says this, But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own what? They are transplanted to the Lord's own house, and they will flourish where? In the courts of the Lord. Believers are transplanted into the house. They flourish in the courts of the Lord. The house of God, this is the gathering of worship. Look at verse 14. It says, even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. Verse 15, it says, they will declare. Somebody say, they will declare. They will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. And there is no evil in him. It doesn't say they might declare or they could get around to declaring. It says here, the godly will flourish. They'll grow. They'll produce fruit. They'll be vibrant in old age. And they will declare what the wonderful things God has done. They'll proclaim his mighty deeds. They will declare. It is an expectation of every child of God to make declaration. Declaration lets what's in you flow out of you. Let what God has done in you come forth from you. The proverb says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. This world is under the curse of death. And it is crying out for the house of God, the people of God, to speak life. To begin to undo the curse that's been weighing it down for so long. When we declare God's goodness, we are sending life into the world. We are taking back ground from the enemy. We are unleashing the presence of God into the atmosphere. Worship declaration is part of the Christian life. We make declaration to the lost world when we're outside of the church gathering, but we declare the wonderful deeds of God to each other to encourage, to build up, to strengthen, and to be edified ourselves. And Psalm 71 verse 8 says, This is why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. I can never stop praising because your glory is worth declaring all day long. Passion for his house consumed the Lord. If you're connected to Jesus, 
passion for his house will consume you. You'll have to praise. You'll have to worship. You'll need to get together. You'll need to declare. His presence overwhelms me at times. When I think about God's goodness, it stumps me how good God can be. I can't even describe it, his love, his goodness. There's sometimes that in my soul, I ache so much for the presence of God that I'm brought to tears. Because I know that's the very thing I need. There's something about not having enough of God that just overwhelms me. It's a prayer on my, my everyday, God, I need more of you. God, I need more anointing. I need more presence. I need more of you. I'm not enough as I am. I need more of you. I need more. And I praise him, and I declare the goodness, and I seek his face. It's consuming when you have tasted and have seen that the Lord is good. When you recognize what God has done, how can we not speak of the Lord? How can we not tell the people we work with? How can we not come in here ready to proclaim his goodness? You see, the power of the reality of the house of God is that when the church gathers together and the heavens open, his presence comes down as we declare heartfelt praise and he fills the atmosphere and responds. We have to make this declaration. For when we make this declaration, in Psalm 100, verse 4, here's what the psalmist says. He says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why does he say enter the courts with thanksgiving or enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? He, does, he doesn't say gather in, get all your coffee and, and, and get everybody situated, get comfortable and, and, and we'll start praise in a minute, which is our normal Christian experience. He says come praising the Lord. Come ready to worship. Come let the praise of God be on your lips. Be making declaration before you even cross the threshold of this building. Prepare your heart for an encounter. Invite the presence of God to even go before you. It's because when we declare God descends, when we worship God comes in, imagine what would it would be like if we were so filled with worship and we've been praising on our way here that we have walked in with the anointing of God and every one of us were so filled with his presence. Imagine what encounters we would have. Imagine if we weren't distracted about life and about things, but we were so consumed for his presence and we gathered in for worship, what kind of services we would have. When we enter his gates with praise. See, it's not uncommon that, that in, in our church culture, and, and, and this isn't just our church, this is a lot of churches, people just kind of mosey on in. Some don't even make it out of the lobby. They, they just kind of casually come in and, and we wait till things get started and we nonchalantly walk in the door because we don't really believe we're going to encounter God. We don't really believe he's going to show up, that he's going to speak, that he's going to perform miracles. And, and when we begin to sing, and we, we see this in the worship team, it's, it's not uncommon that we'll get through most of the worship set before we see people really begin to kind of open up and respond. It's because it's taken two or three songs to get people livened up enough to open their heart and engage. But imagine if we were ready before we even started. You see, God is not impatient. He's ready to fall upon you before the last song of the worship set. He's ready to fall upon you before you even walk in the door. 
He's ready to work and move in your life. If you lived a life of worship, it's going to change your whole life. And it will change our services. If we come already having encounters, it will change the atmosphere in our room because we'll be so excited and overflowing with joy. And that will come. That type of a gathering will come. The power of God's presence will be overwhelming if we prepare ourselves to meet with God. And then we let God prepare the way in our worship services. Secondly, worship declaration. It's not just declaring His goodness and, and actually participating in shouts of praise and, and, and in being engaged in the worship. But worship declaration is also spiritual warfare. It's also spiritual warfare. In Psalm 149, verses 4 through 6, it says, The Lord delights in His people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that He honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands. Worship is also spiritual warfare. The, Paul tells us in the New Testament that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That, that we wield a sharp sword when we're singing songs, we're declaring, we're giving testimony, we're praising God, we are unleashing the Word of God against the enemy. When we're shouting praise and we're praying, we're unleashing the power of God against the enemy forces pitted against us. And worship, singing praise, making declaration is a powerful way to change our attitude and affect our emotional well-being. You see, often we don't recognize the attacks of the enemy when they're coming. We just think we're having a bad day or we're just having a struggle with a spouse or, or we just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. We don't recognize often the attacks when they're coming. But, but there are many times where it, it happened, has happened to me before where I just wake up on a Sunday morning and I honestly just don't want to come to church. Has anybody felt like that? You're just like, I'm just not feeling it today. I just don't want to come. Yeah, you be honest. If you lie, we're in the presence of God. He knows anyways. You might as well tell the truth. Right? There are times I'm just like, I'm not feeling it. I mean, today we get here and the keyboard doesn't work. I wasn't feeling that. You know, I'm like, do I want to, do I want to go through all the technical problems and all this stuff? No. But when you're so overwhelmed with this feeling that you just don't want to happen, we have to recognize that is a spiritual attack. Because why would we ever not want to be in the presence of God? Why would we never want to or not want to be in a place where we are encouraged? The psalm just said, this is where the godly flourish. This is where we grow. See, God doesn't want you to live oppressed. Your father ordains peace for his children, but the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And what the enemy knows is that when you enter the house of God, you have an opportunity for a breakthrough, to, for a chance to break free from the entanglements and the strongholds that he's put in your life. And he doesn't want you to come. And there are many, there are many times where I, I, I knew a message was happening and I, and, and I had conversation with somebody throughout the week and I think, oh, this, this will probably help them. And they don't come to church that Sunday. Why? It's because the enemy knew if they came, they'd be set free and he didn't want them to be set free. Almost every time I feel like not coming and I come, it was always worth it. It was always worth it. It was always worth it. Many of the emotional struggles that we have are rooted in the same lies of the enemy, lies that we have believed, lies to keep us held down. 
Even if somebody has done something horrible to us in the past, these things can be overcome through what Jesus did for us on the cross and the life that he lived as the example. The enemy wants us stuck in depression, stuck in guilt and shame, or any other accusation that he sends into our thoughts and minds. The enemy is constantly warring against us, trying to fill our minds with negativity. And God has come to deliver us and set us free. And the worship gathering is where we can come and find that breakthrough. And the enemy doesn't want it. And even in our lowest moments, when you're on the verge of hopelessness, when you're on the verge of giving up on everything altogether, there is a powerful weapon in the arsenal of the church. We have been given divine weapons to overthrow enemy strongholds, and worship is one of those weapons. And even in your lowest moment, if you were to implement worship, begin to declare God's goodness, God's power, begin to declare God's promises aloud, just to sing it out or declare it out loud, it would be a game changer in your life. And you think, well, how could singing a worship song help me when I feel like giving up? I'll show you in Isaiah 61, verse 3. The prophet Isaiah writes this. He says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now, Zion is not just Jerusalem, which is another name for Jerusalem. As we read last week in Hebrews 12, it represents that intermeary place where the church gathers. When the house of God comes together, the, the church becomes holy ground that we get transported into the presence of God, which becomes the heavenly city, becomes Mount Zion. So even now, we are in Zion. Zion's not just a physical place. And here, as we, as we see... The word mourn or lament means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning here represents sin, mourning or repenting of sin, and turning to God for salvation. We read in Psalm 92 that the children of God are planted in the house of the Lord. Here in Isaiah 61, this is a messianic chapter talking about the coming of Messiah, his work, his ministry. And here, those who mourn in Zion are those who have come to the house of God to mourn, to repent of their sin. And what do they get when they repent, when they mourn in Zion? He says, I give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. Oil in all throughout scripture represents the Holy Spirit. It says, when they come mourning, I will give them the oil of joy. One of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is joy. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, tenderness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such as there is no law. The oil of joy is the anointing, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So those who come through the ministry of Messiah to the house of God in mourning for their sin will receive the oil of joy. They'll be born again. They'll be transformed. Those who are saved will be given these following promises. And one of those promises here is he says that for the spirit of heaviness, the way out is what? Putting on the garment of praise. For the spirit of heaviness is putting on the garment of praise. This word heaviness here in Isaiah 61 verse 3 means darkness. The spirit of darkness. 
the spirit of heaviness. There is a spirit who you can identify coming into your life when your life feels dark, when everything feels heavy. You ever felt like that, where it's like you can't even enjoy your blessings? Like even your blessings, they're like, yeah, that I should really appreciate that, but right now I just don't care. I just, life is just, there's nothing going well. There's such a heaviness on your life. It's a struggle to get up to go to work. It's a struggle to do basic things. It's just a struggle, and you just feel like, man, I, almost, I just feel like giving up. I just feel like walking away from everything. There's a heaviness that comes upon you. That is a spirit from hell. And there's a spirit of heaviness that comes against the people of God. There's a, a darkness, but Jesus didn't come for any other reason, then you might have life and life more abundantly. And when our experience doesn't reflect his truth, we can recognize a demonic intervention happening in that moment. And here he's telling us in Isaiah 61 verse 3, when we're encountering a spirit of heaviness, that the key to overturning that spirit of heaviness is putting on the garment of praise, is putting on the mantle of worship, that when we declare God's goodness, when we allow praise to erupt from inside to the outside, it begins to shift not just the atmosphere outside of us, but the atmosphere inside of us. When you begin to focus on God, focus on His goodness, to fix your thoughts on what is good, righteous, true, and holy, when you access the promise that He gives us in Isaiah that says that He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on Him, when you begin to worship Him, it will begin to make a change in your life. Some of you in this place today, you're bound by heaviness. There are times where you're so overwhelmed, you fall under the power of this spirit, and you suffer under this spirit on a daily basis. You even take medication in your life trying to alleviate the symptoms, but to no avail. May I suggest that you take Jesus at his word. You trust him with your heart, and when you're feeling heavy, you don't pop the pill. You start to praise. You start to worship. You take back the ground the enemy has brought into your life and you give God glory and you continue to praise until the heaviness departs. The heaviness is robbing you of the joy that God has given you when the anointing of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In James 4, 7, it says, Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Many of us don't resist, we accept we agree with what he's saying. We empower him in our lives. But the Bible says, humble yourself before God and resist the devil. How do we do that? We turn to the Lord and we praise. We worship. We fight back. We use the weapons of our warfare. If we sit in the darkness, we agree with the darkness. And agreement grants authority. But if we humble ourselves before God and we resist the devil through praise, the devil has to flee. It is not any surprise that the last attack we read in Matthew that Satan brought against Jesus in the 40-day temptation was around worship. He said, if you just bow and worship me, I'll give you all that you see. And Jesus says, you shall not worship anyone other than the Lord your God and only serve him. And the devil left him. Worship is a powerful declaration that prepares your heart 
that changes and shifts the atmosphere in you. Again, worship is not just singing along to the songs. It's a spiritual thing. You have to engage your spirit, your heart, your emotions, your mind. You have to meditate on what's being said and sung and allow that to penetrate deep within you and allow what happens in you to come out of you and continue to do it in faith until the enemy leaves. Worship calls down the presence of God. Many stories in the Old Testament from Jericho to others, we see that when they worship the battle won even before they had to draw their swords. For some of you, your your spiritual battles will not be won until your worship rises to the level of the conflict that you face. You know, we, 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 we just hold worship off till we get to the church, but when we get here, we don't even worship because we've not practiced it, we've not lived it, we've not been implementing this in our life. And if we want to win the spiritual wars against the enemy, we want to see a shift in the atmosphere in our lives and then see how that overwhelms us when we gather as the house of God. We need to begin living a life of worship to make declaration. And let what's on the inside come out. The question for you, as we think about the heavenly conversation that's happening even now, as the Spirit of God is speaking to hearts and minds, are you in this place even now, are you hearing and responding in the house of God today? Are you listening? Are you engaging? Are you meditating and attuning your senses to perceive the Lord and to hear His voice? And are you responding by declaring through prayer and praise? So the heavens are opened, and his nearness and your ability to sense his nearness will reflect your desire to press in. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this place. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. As we contemplate, I just want to take a time for some meditation. If we could get the response song played, just for the next few moments, we're entering a time of prayer. Because I believe there's a war going on. There's a war going on for our minds and our hearts. And the enemy is working tirelessly to keep us disengaged because he doesn't want us to have encounters. He doesn't want us to flourish. He doesn't want us to hear God's voice. He doesn't want our heaviness to be lifted. He doesn't want us to be anointed with the oil of joy. He doesn't want the power of God to flow. And he definitely doesn't want Christ to be honored and exalted. In this moment, Just ask yourself, get real with yourself. Where is your heart? Does passion for the house of God overwhelm you? Do you long to enter and experience the presence of God? Do you desire to be touched by God and be used to touch others so that his power can be at work in the lives of those that you gather with? Are you entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? Are you entering into battle through worship? 
Are you leaning in? Are you desperate for his presence? Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God. You've never had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You've never had an encounter with the love of the Father. You don't know the power of God's love because you've never said yes to Jesus. You know right here in this moment that God is speaking to your heart and that you want your sins forgiven. You can declare today. You can make declaration today as you're listening to his voice. The Bible says if you declare that Jesus is Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can become a child of God right now by responding to his voice and making declaration. If that's you here today, I would invite you just to pray this with me. Say, Father, I believe. I believe in you and that you sent Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I ask you now to save my soul. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to live for you now and forever. Maybe you're here today and you're already a child of God. But you know there's not been a fire burning in you for a long time. And you want to get your fire back. If that's you here today, I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, fill me with your fire. Fill my heart with your fire. Let passion for your house burn in me. And give me the faith today to step out and to respond. Holy Father, God, I just pray for us now in this place. Lord, I pray for everyone here. Lord, I thank you for meeting with us. I thank you for speaking. And I pray for open ears now, Lord, that the deaf would hear, that the blind would see, that those that have not encountered your presence or your glory, God, would get a glimpse of your glory in this place. And then for the next few moments as we enter this time of ministry, God, that you would stir in us and move in us, God, and that you would unleash your presence in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just in an attitude of prayer, I'm just going to invite you to take some time to meditate on what God has spoken to you. And maybe he's speaking to you about declaring and there's a testimony you need to give. The microphone is down here that you would give that word and encourage all of us with what God has done in your life. Maybe you need to praise. You can stand and praise. Maybe you need something to be prayed about. There's sickness in your body or you have something in your heart that you need prayer. We'll be down front and we'll be available to pray with you. But for the next few minutes, let's listen and respond to what God is saying.